In our sport, like, you know, everybody, when you're watching it, like, it's just so violent, everybody's moving so quick, but we feel slow. It's because it's what we do, like, all these small technical things, like, you know, we're looking at, like, the smallest inch here, the smallest inch here, like, always trying to find a way to just get an inch. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, my name is Damian Warner. I'm Clayton Murphy. Javian Oliver. I'm Chris Nils. This is Fred Curley. I'm Justin Gatlin. I'm Katarina Stefanidi. I'm Michael Norman. I'm Ahmed. I'm Raven Saunders. This is Tiana Daniels. I'm Darrell Hill. And this is Personal Podium. And this is Personal Podiums. This is Personal Podiums. And this is Personal Podiums. Personal Podiums is a podcast featuring the world's best athletes who spend their careers striving for the podium. We believe everyone can find inspiration in an athlete's journey. So we created a platform to amplify the stories that make them who they are. A virtual podium, if you will. We're your hosts. I'm Marielle Hall. I'm Jared Walker. And I'm Dan Fitzgerald. This episode is all about change and trust. It features an interview with Darrell Hill, AKA the big homie. Darrell is a world-class shot putter, 2017 Diamond League champion and Olympian. He's also an incredibly dynamic storyteller. He's an awesome guy to listen to. Before we get to Darrell, you're gonna hear Marielle, Jarek, and I talk about some big moments of change and trust from our professional and personal lives. It's one of the first things we recorded as a group together, so we get to know each other through the process. Marielle was right in the thick of it. Let's jump right in. I'm fresh off a boat, not boat, plane, but I, I just moved from from Portland to Rhode Island. I'm about two weeks into being back on the East Coast. I've been honked at a few times, probably driving a little bit too slowly. I've <laughs> um, I've been reacquainted with the East Coast attitude, so uh, I'm, I'm getting that reintroduction and enjoying it, but just really have been inspired by by this interview and kind of reminding me a lot of what I'm experiencing right now and uh, reminding me that sport and life it's really an art um, a dance as, as Darrell mentioned it's not only physically but kind of mentally as well you go back and forth between doubt and and, and questioning how your changes are going to affect your you know, your progression and, and your life path, but I'm, I'm kind of learning to enjoy, enjoy that aspect of things. So, yeah. Yeah. So the change for you, just for people who may not know, um, what, what brought you to the East coast and, and from, from Oregon? Yeah. So Hello. I recently, <laughs> you're on your feet, you're waiting. <laughs> I, I, I changed coaches, so I recently was I was out in in Portland training with the Bowerman Track Club for about four years, and um, that was a big change for me at the time. I um, was training with my high school coach and kind of very familiar familiar background. My family was close by. Um, you know, I was with a group that was a lot of my high school friends, just kind of still training. So so that was. Uh, a really fun experience to just get to grow with them in the professional setting. And I had the opportunity to move out to Oregon to just really try and um, build on, on my athletic experience and career and, and was really excited and grateful to get the opportunity to do so. Um, but just, you know, like everyone 
just still seeking growth and then sometimes getting to the next level of things, you have to switch things up. So that's kind of what's brought me out to Rhode Island. Marielle, working... can, I, can I pause you quickly? Just just a pause for, for Marielle, since she didn't say herself, I'm just gonna fill in some gaps there. Um, Marielle, this can all stay in. It's a pause for Olympic glory. Marielle is an Olympian. Marielle is a top 10, 10,000 meter runner of all time. Marielle is the top American finisher in the world championships, not just a person who goes from east to west changing coaches. You know, I, I really like alliteration and I'm gonna start calling you Modest Marielle. Yes. Uh, Two double M's right there. Yeah. She just happened to, she was like hanging out with her high school friends, moved to Oregon a little while, and then moved back east and is not great at driving. <laughs> that was her version. <laughs> I was trading professionally. It was just, I was just trying to speak on that. It was, it was really I, cool, you know, be with and familiar just to, just to give perspective on, you know, how, how much change I have made to get back on theme. <laughs> you know, I was. <laughs> your setting and I switch that up um, like we all do for for the opportunity to get the best out of ourselves and I'm switching up again for for those same reasons Jarek how about you what what's um what was the time you needed to was there change in trust were, were primary themes in, in your life? Yeah. Um, so, you know, not not much of a runner. Running really started for me much later in life, and I'm grateful for it. That's how I met the lovely people here. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up playing football, and uh, I walked on at Boston College. And one, you know, just being able to walk on was a huge deal. And uh, I was kind of initially just satisfied with that. And I figured, all right, if I show up to practice every day, try, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get a spot um, and, and actually get to play. And, you know, freshman year went by, no playing time. Sophomore year went by. I think I played my sophomore year only because we were beating the team by like 50. Um, got to get out there on the field. And personally, I, I didn't really want to be on the field. It was also pouring rain. So I was like, guys, I, I just... Let's just get inside. It's over. Um, like but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, you know, fast, fast forward. Uh, I, I'll never forget a bunch of my friends were telling me like, hey, Jarek, like you should just quit because you're probably not going to play. Um, and honestly, it, it kind of took that to heart. And I was like, damn, well, it's, it's been two years. There's been no real like uh, movement towards me playing. And um, specifically my junior year was when I like, I started to take things a lot more serious and was kind of, you know, working harder and trying to take care of my body in a better way and still nothing. And I'll, I'll never forget like about getting ready to quit, uh, talking to my mother on the phone. I'm my only child. Uh, so mama's boy, whatever. Don't judge me. Mind your business. Shut up. I'm sorry. I don't know who I'm talking to, but and my daughter's I, an only child. And I, I use whenever my, whenever we talk about concern about that, I'm like, Jarek's an only child, like the best yeah. guy was an only child. I'm okay. I came out okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have my challenges, but we all do, right? So, <laughs> uh, but talking to my mom and literally saying, I was like, mom, I think I'm going to quit. Like, I don't, and it's crazy because she doesn't even remember this conversation. Uh, but like, it was like a life-changing like conversation for me where uh, she, she just asked me, she goes, have you been trying your hardest? And 
I was, she was like, honestly, and I was like, well, no, um, you know, I, I'd still been going out most nights and, uh, you know, uh, partaking in uh, adult beverages, which, you know, probably isn't the best during the season. Um, and she was like, and I said no. And she was like, well, like, try your hardest. And if nothing changes, then quit and I'll be cool with it. And I was like, okay, okay, mama. And, you know, I kind of like flipped this switch where I went from just showing up to practice to like going to practice and, and going like 110%. And when I tell you that was not received well by my teammates as I was flying into them full speed as if it was a game on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> and like, and I would show up to practice every day, like, all right, let's go. How are we getting better today? Like it, it was like this new kind of switch. And it literally, I, I came as my, my best self to practice and like everything changed. Um, if you guys have seen uh, Rudy, uh, the movie, Rudy Rudiger, who played at um, Notre Dame. And there's the scene where like, you know, all the players are like putting their jerseys down and like this one, I want Rudy to play. I want Rudy to play. I had a Rudy moment y'all. And like, oh. and it's crazy because every now and then, like I was actually talking about it a couple of days ago. Like I get emotional um, with it. And I got emotional in the moment where, <clears throat> you know, at this point, junior year, maybe uh, more than halfway through the season, still, still no playing time. We're watching film and like maybe three, four times in a row is this, I'm making the play over and over again. And the coach was like, who is that? And, uh, and one of the players is like, hey, man, that's, that's Walker. That's my last name, y'all, if you didn't know that. That's Walker, coach. And then um, someone else is like, hey, how come Walker doesn't play? And then someone else is like, yeah, coach, I don't get it. Like, why doesn't Walker play? And like four other people said it. And I remember just sitting there like shrinking, like, oh, my goodness, what's, <laughs> what's going to come of this? And the coach was like, he's like, damn, you know, I don't know. And next thing you know, I'm on the roster, I'm traveling with the team, I'm playing. And it was like, it was crazy. And I had literally, I'll never forget the head coach, like grabbing my shoulder one day in practice. He's like, look, he's like this little scout team hero, practice hero thing you've been doing, keep it up. Cause you're pissing people off and you're making us better. And like every, everything changed. And I ended up receiving an award uh, my senior year for like literally being that person that like was just shaking things up in practice. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't listened to my mom and trusted kind of what she said, and also trusted myself to understand that, like, you know, I, I was an athlete, but I wasn't truly putting my, my full, uh, you know, effort into it. And when I did, things changed. Um, so that was, that was, that was really big for me. That's a story that I like, I, I hang on forever. And whenever I'm like struggling with something now in my adult life, I'm like, all right, like, are you trying your hardest, Jarek? And then, you know, then I can go back and try to figure it out. So shout out to mom, mom. I don't, I don't, I, even when I tell you the story, like, remember it, man, just, just lie to me. Goodness. Actually, no, we're talking about trust here. So don't lie. But yeah. So, I mean, that's my story. Marielle shared her story, Dan like talk to us changing trust <laughs> like I, I know we, we've all had a, a moment with uh those those words tell us about yours yeah well um for me I think back to when I, I founded uh heartbreak it wasn't called heartbreak at the time but I had been laid off from my dream job at Quicksilver surfing company where I'd worked for a while uh was ending a 14 year relationship and marriage and uh, had just started a new business, cashed in my entire retirement to start a new business, which I was sure was going to be successful. 
and uh, I'm sorry. Can can I stop you? All this happened in the same year. This all happened in the same year. Yes. Whoa. And I moved into the back of the store, uh, which is about. Um, it's not ten by ten. It's not that wide. Maybe it's like four by ten. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in a linoleum floor. I got a gym membership, so I could shower, and I had a bucket that I could, you know, rinse off occasionally with if I needed a quick, uh, quick rinse for an emergency party or something. Yeah. So it was all happening at once, and it was, um, it was a time I think about as you know, defining when I think about heartbreak. That's where it started. It wasn't even called heartbreak then. We were one store called Self End Athletic Company back then, Seek for short. Uh, because we're in the south end of Boston and it just it, it reset everything for me right you know when you're 24 you start you make whatever you make if you're you know in the professional environment and you think like well I'm never going to make less than this and then you make a little bit more the next year and a little bit more the next year and it just felt like okay that's how it's going and then I'm 31 years old um, making zero money cashed in my entire retirement and uh, just bet on myself and didn't really have just felt like I didn't have anything to lose. And I felt like having that, I think about it as visibility from the bottom. That certainly doesn't, definitely wasn't a rock bottom. You know, there are certainly lower bottoms that one could could find. I could have just moved home with my parents. But for me, it was really defining in the sense of like, you know, I qualified for the, the best healthcare subsidy you could possibly get. If you want to rate it that way, based on making no money, you could get a good healthcare <laughs> subsidy. Uh, yeah, that was a perk of my job. <laughs> Um, you know, and I didn't, I don't, I didn't get paid at the store for four years. Um, so I had to hustle other things. Um, and I did hustle other things for a very long time too. So just being in that position really kind of framed how I think about, you know, self-belief and to bring it back to Darrell and, and his story, you know, I think my story is, you know, personal and, and, and business related and Jared, yours is sport, Marielle, yours is sport and life and, and Darrell's like his, his interview I found just so captivating right from the start because when he talks about his collegiate time and transitioning uh, from the University of Houston back to Penn State, he because of NCAA rules and stipulations, he couldn't be coached by his coach. So he was writing his own workouts, working 40 hours a week and trying to figure it out. And, you know, actually not trying to figure it out, figuring it out because he became the Diamond League champion, which if you don't know, you don't follow track and field short of a gold medal. I don't think there's anything better than a Diamond League championship. We can ask our our resident expert, Marielle. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that is among the tiers of accomplishments that I think athletes are seeking throughout the season. Diamond League, uh, winning the Diamond League championships gets you an automatic bid into Worlds the following year. Um, There's quite a bit of prize money included, a little bit of pride, pride, or a lot of bit of pride, I would say, because your your competition for the field in a Diamond League final is, as Dan mentioned, would be the same quality as an Olympic or World Championship final. Um, So I think it is you know, one of the pinnacles of the sport. So, so to win that, uh, it to be kind of the last event of the season, you know, the Diamond League falls usually after Worlds or after the Olympics. So it really does kind of put, tie a bow on the season of, of who who is the champion. Uh, so I think I could, I would say confidently, it means quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's Darrell for you. Darrell, 18 years old, working 40 hours a week, believing in himself. You know, through coaching changes. Don't give away too much. Technique changes. All right, you're right. Let's hear from <laughs> the man himself. Darrell Hill, big homie. Big homie.
on personal podiums. Can you think of three choices that you made that made you who you are today? I can. I absolutely can. Um, one choice that I think that made me who I am today was when I was coming out of when I was coming out of high school, I wanted to go to Penn State originally. That was my dream school. And it didn't work originally because of some academic stuff. It was it was a weird situation. But I ended up going to University of Houston uh, for my freshman year of school. And yeah, I love I love University of Houston. I decided to leave um, after that year to transfer back to Penn State just because it was something I always wanted to do, something I always wanted to be a part of. But there were a lot of people um, that were telling me that it was not the right thing for me to do. Because I think coming from where we come from, like I was in school, so I had kind of already broken that barrier and made it to that next realm where people view as like, you're doing something successful. Like, why would you leave? And it took me going against a lot of people that I trust, a lot of people whose judgment that I, you know, I really look for, even still to this day, yeah. to decide, you know, hey, I wanna, I wanna do this. And I had to go home uh, because everything happened so late, I had to sit out for a semester. So I went back to, Pennsylvania and I got a job my first job I was working 40 hours a week you know at 18 years old I'm like well, what the heck so I'm waking up and I'm training like at six o'clock in the morning by myself because my coach can't send me workouts due to the NCAA eligibility stuff so I'm writing my own programs at 18 I'm doing my own training one of my friends would pick me up every morning and take me to train and then he dropped me off at the bus stop and I take the bus and I go work 40 hours a week and I really think that that period of my life right there really cultivated who I became as a shot putter moving forward. Um, the next one I'd have to say is my decision to leave Penn State after I graduated school. Um, it was in 2016, a little bit before the Olympic trials. It was literally in April, and obviously the trials are in June. And I was having some issues, some technical issues that kind of stopped me from making the team in 2015. Uh, I kept fouling a lot of big throws. And there was a coach, Art Venegas, who was in Chula Vista at the period of time working with Joe Kovacs. And I remember getting on the phone and calling him. I was like, hey, I met him a year before at a track meet. And he, you know, he was interested in coaching me. And I looked up to him. And I remember asking him, like, hey, can you help me? You know, do you think you can help me? Because if you say yes, like, I'll come out right now. Like, he was like, yeah, so I planned to go for two weeks, and I got there for two weeks, and I never left. <laughs> like, it was one of those things, and I, it was really tough for me because my college coach, like, he helped me. Like, it wasn't – a lot of people leave their college coach because they don't feel like they're getting everything they need. I really feel like my college coach really kind of brought it all together for me and helped me believe that I can be great and helped me see a lot of it. Obviously, you know, I was not an All-American coming out of high school, and we – achieved a lot when I was at Penn State. So the decision to leave working with him to go, you know, a couple months before the Olympic trials was a risky one. Yeah. Um, but I think it was the right one. Obviously, I made the team and, <laughs> and the rest is history. And uh, the last one I have to say, I'm still kind of writing the rest of this story, but it would be my last move was to move in the middle of the pandemic to Arizona to work with my coach now, who's Ryan Whiting. Uh, former shot putter as well, former Olympian. Well, not former Olympian because you never lose that, but Olympian, world champion. And I don't think we have the great tale to the story yet because it's still being written. But I think when I look back at this moment right here, uh, in a few more years, I think it'll be the right decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
what changes in your training are you most proud of that you've had to make over the course of these journeys? I think it's really been my ability to be flexible. Because um, working with a lot of different people in a lot of different places, you gotta be, you got to be flexible because people have so many different like approaches and views on how to be successful. And so I think my ability to be be kind of like adjustable is one of my better traits. Um, one of the things I'm more proud of now is, you know, when I was going through this season a lot, I kept running into a lot of injuries. Like I got to this point in my career by working harder than a lot of people. I think a lot of people can resonate with that. It's like when you start at the bottom, you know, you get to the top by working extra hard. I work in everybody. That's that's what we tell everybody. It's like, you got to work hard. You got to work hard. So naturally, I've been a grinder. I've been grinding for years. And as you get a little bit older, and I'm not even old, but, you know, <laughs> when you like, I've gone to world championships, back to back to back Olympics and all of these things, years, years on years, like, you know, your age is kind of relative to your competitive age, I like to think. Yeah. And my body was changing like I'm my body's getting a little bit older and I have to do things differently and I didn't I wouldn't I kept fighting that like every injury I kept working hard through I gotta work hard I gotta work harder I gotta work harder on this and so I'm just grinding through all these injuries and they just keep stacking up on each other and eventually me and my coach sit down and we're just like we gotta do this differently um, we've gotta adjust this training so that you can just su sustain weeks on weeks of consistent work, even if it's less, you know, just to right. be able to compete. And that had been the story for a decent portion of my season so far. And unfortunately, it didn't cultivate in me making a team. I missed, missed it by an inch. But, you know, that was the story. The story for this year, for the most part, was going to be me being hurt. But because we made that adjustment, I was able to come out and compete at such a high level. Like, if I made the Olympic team, then we'd be looking at this year as one of my most successful years ever. Ever, But an inch one way or an inch the other way changes your, your outlook on things. So I think I'm having a really successful year so far. And just that thought process, I think, moving forward. Will... And um, the shot put uh, is having a renaissance right now. Uh, and it, it, it's much more visible, which is fun. You know, I think... Um, when I think about the different events like the marathon or, you know, like that gets used a lot for a life metaphor, right? <laughs> it's, um, you know, when you think about the shot put, it's, it's such an extreme amount of force pushed so precisely in, in a flash and in an instant, you know, and that, that's everything, you know, that's, that's the whole expression of the sport through right. that one steel ball. Mm -hmm. uh, steel? Yeah, steel. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, and that's such a, um, I wonder how do you think about that as a as a life metaphor if, if there's one there for you as 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 a shot putter you know I think when I think about it there's we see that expression of force that you're mm -hmm. able to apply in that instant mm -hmm. uh, but there's a hell of a lot that goes into being yeah able to yeah that for force. sure it's like a it. it's like a beautiful dance like it's so it's so violent in nature but like it is so interesting because everybody in our sport can think about this in, in this perspective, like you said, there's so much work that goes into these moments. Like even somebody who runs the marathon, I mean like, you know, the marathon is 26 miles, correct? Like, but if you think about the amount of miles that you've ran to prepare yourself for the marathon, like the amount of work, you know, for a hundred meter runner, the amount of times you've gone to practice and you've gone 
150, 150, 250. Like, I mean, the amount of meters and, and, and miles and tonnage you've put in your body to train for this small 10 seconds is so remarkable. Like, if you don't, if you, you, you blink, you'll miss it. Like, it happens so fast. You know, in, in that process of, of trying to express that extra inch, right. uh, was there anything that, that you really struggled with mm-hmm. um, in that process that when it finally clicked felt felt really good that, you, you know, helped you? Um, anything, you know, there's, there's so many different things that go into it. But. Yeah, I think uh, a moment I could think about is for me is in 2017, uh, I was working with the coach I was talking about before, Arvin Agus, and... Uh, we worked on so many different technical things. And I started the season with a personal best, 2191, which is like a big personal best for me. And I had like six straight meets over 21 meters. And I was on fire. And this is like maybe a month before our U.S. championships. And our my coach came to me at training, you know, about a month out. And he saw something in me that I didn't yet see for myself. He, he, he wanted to adjust just adjust something in my technique that he thought could help take me to the next level. Like, okay, we're doing great, and I was happy with where I was, but he was thinking big picture. He's like, if this guy can just change this small little technical thing here, then we might be able to compete to win this whole thing. And what happened immediately was what threw off my rhythm, and I wasn't throwing that well for the next three weeks, and I hated him. Like, <laughs> you know, a short term because I'm like in my head, right? Like, I had never experienced this level of success, and here we go now. You're adjusting something, you're adjusting the timing, and I go to USA's and I make the team, but I don't throw as well, and I'm very frustrated. And I go to Europe and I'm working the things out, and I'm starting to get a little bit of rhythm, and I go to the World Championships and I don't have the performance that I want, and. I go to, I'm over in Europe for 56 days. I never forget, I'm 56 days away from the United States. Yeah. And on the 56th day is the Diamond League final. And I remember the morning I'm sitting at breakfast with Will Clay uh, and a few other guys. And I'm just literally talking about, I can't wait to go home tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like my whole conversation, I have a Diamond League championship tonight, but my whole yeah. thought is, is I can't wait to go home tomorrow. Like I'm just, I'm just, I'm so over it. I'm so sick of this. Like it's been such a long year. I can't wait to go home tomorrow. And I'm in a competition, and the competition is going okay. I'm over 21 meters again. A good, a good throw, and the meet's awesome. We're downtown in Brussels, and just on the last, right before the last throw, I just walk into the tent, and I'm just like, I'm just gonna let it go. One time, it's my last throw of the year. Like I'm just gonna go 100%, not thinking, just go. And it clicked right there. And I threw 22.44, which was like a 50-centimeter PR. I won the championship. And, like, it was just like I remember getting finishing that meeting. The first thing I picked the, picked up the phone, called my coach, and I was like, I get it. <laughs> you know, like, and we're talking about, like, a whole four, four or five months of, like, me not feeling this rhythm. Yeah. And then when we look back at the video of that throw, when I look back with, a, with my coach, and he's just like, there it is. Like, it just took me to be willing to expand my thought on what I thought was comfortable for myself and just let myself go and you get the big performance and and that's it. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. I mean, that's such a hard, uh, a hard thing to do when you're having a lot of success to then take a look at that, mess with it, Mm -hmm. trust it. You stuck with it. You didn't just go back and struggle Mm -hmm. and then popped out. Yeah, and I think it's been it's been it's just like a, a metaphor right there. It's like when you, when you trust somebody, you gotta 
well, you got to make sure you're trusting the right people. That's first and foremost. And I, I like, as an athlete, like, I think the per- perfect place to be is in a complete trust thing. Like, you give up a lot of, like, that autonomy. It's just like, I'm putting this on you. Like, you you coach me, you tell me what to do, and I'm going to follow it 100%. So picking the people you're going to trust is the biggest part of it. But there's no better feeling than when it does all come together. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Thank you. Are you still excited to go home? Uh, well, yes, yes, and no. Like, well, it was it was different then because the funny, the even funnier part about it was because I won. Then we had to change my flight for me to stay an additional day because <laughs> because I had to go get my trophy at the Diamond League as a ceremony. Yeah, so, yeah. like, that was the joke afterwards. Like, well, I guess I actually got to stay for another night. I'll but one more day. yeah, no, right, it was it was worth it at that point. <laughs> That's amazing. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Personal Podiums. I'm Dan Fitzgerald. You can find me on Instagram and other places at Coach Dan B-O-S. And I'm Marielle Hall. You can also find me on Instagram and other places at Marielle Hall 3Ls. My name is Jarek Walker. You can find me on most social handles at J-A-R-I-C-K. There's not a lot of Jareks out there, so you'll find me. The show is directed and edited by Anaya Keenan. All music in this episode is a product of Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Nike Running for access to Darrell, the big homie, and obviously special thanks to the man himself. Big homie was an excellent guest. Thanks for sharing so much. We'll see you on the run. This is Personal Podiums.